Welcome back to Historical Context. Today, we start a new series on the colonies during the Commonwealth of England. And for those of you who are new or newer to the podcast, the Commonwealth of England occurred between 1649 and 1660. So this series is going to cover the colonies during this period of time. Today, we are in part one of a two-part episode on Virginia as the Commonwealth of England takes aim at Virginia. If you joined us last week, we concluded our English Civil War series with the death of Charles I and the establishment of England as a republic. Now, the population in Virginia in 1649, where we start today, was heavily allied towards Charles I and the English royalists. But now the Puritan parliamentarians were in power in England and several royalists in the country chose to actually leave and head for Virginia. One such royalist was a man by the name of Captain Henry Norwood. Captain Norwood would chronicle his journey in the letter Voyage to Virginia, where his group would ultimately run aground on the Chesapeake Peninsula near modern-day Ocean City, Maryland. Captain Norwood and his group had to be guided by friendly natives to Governor Berkeley's residence in the Virginia colony. It's an interesting account because as we've been talking about Virginia, we've been seeing a lot of warring with the natives, but apparently this native group was friendly to the Virginia colonists and they helped Captain Norwood and his company find their appropriate destination. Another account of Virginia in 1649 was written by a William Bullock. In that account, he talks about the natural world of Virginia and what it has to offer, the trees, uh, the livestock, all kinds of different things that are in Virginia. And we've seen some of this in prior writings going all the way back, oh, more than a half century prior. But Bullock also talks about the economic conditions of the colony in a section entitled English Provisions. Let's have a look. There is above 30,000 head of cattle and an infinite number of hogs in such plenty that you may buy beef and pork under 16 pence a stone. Wheat and barley is very cheap. Most of them brew their own beer and have diverse public brew houses that brew excellent beer and ale. Bullock goes on to say, goat's flesh and mutton, but not yet so plentiful, by reason they have not been suffered to increase till of late years. There is all sorts of tame English fowl. There is above 200 horses and mares, and above 70 asses. These came thither, but of late years. So the livestock, some of the livestock took a little while to develop but there appears to be plenty occurring in uh, the agriculture, the livestock market there in Virginia. Bullock goes on to mention that crops, some crops are outperforming those in England. Let's have a look. 
In the degrees of 34 and 35, they receive three harvests in five months of Indian corn from the same ground they sow in April and reap in June. Sow in June and reap in July, sow in July and reap in August. Virginia yields two harvests in one year. They reap their wheat in July and then sow barley and reap in October. Their Indian corn yields them above 250 quarters for one. We don't know what uh, the one is referring to in terms of measurement, but livestock and crops going well in Virginia in 1649. He goes on to mention that apricots and peaches grow well there too. Bullock goes on to argue that tobacco caused many servant deaths because they were required to manually patrol the rows of crops in the heat of the summer. This was in a section where he wrote about things of the colony he wasn't too fond of. He also added that the quality of the plant was poor, which we've heard other accounts of, and the, the quantity was so great that it caused the price to drop and it wasn't even worth transporting. He also talks about the attacks by the natives and how they have hurt the colony. He says, quote, malicious tongues have also hurt the colony. He does briefly describe indentured servitude. Let's have a look. For it hath been a constant report amongst the ordinary sort of people that all those servants who are sent to Virginia are sold as slaves, whereas the truth is that the merchants who send servants and have no plantations of their own do only transfer their time over to others, but the servants serve no longer than the time they themselves agreed for in England, and this is an ordinary course in England and no prejudice or hurt to the servant. So apparently there was some rumors in England that indentured servitude was turning into slavery in the New World, and Bullock was working to quell that rumor. He concludes this section by talking about a group engaged in laziness and idleness with a lack of work in uh, their lives. And this could be the first reference to groups of people living in poverty in the New World. Bullock goes on to describe a new form of government that he recommends for the colony. He recommends a council of 13 who would then choose a governor, and if the vote was 6 to 6, meaning the uh, 13th person would be the governor nominee, the vote would fail. And if they fail to elect someone, the eldest member of the council would become the governor. The council would also choose a secretary. He goes on to suggest that the land be divided into shires and parishes, and that superintendents should be elected to represent each of those municipalities in the General Assembly. The secretary of the council would also be the speaker and head of the assembly. Members of the assembly could also serve as assistants to the council. Laws would be passed by the General Assembly, then the council, then the governor. Bullock goes on to suggest specific powers and responsibilities for each, but the significance of Bullock's comments come 
in the structure of what he's wanting them to do. Bullock continues by mentioning that Virginia ought to consider other commodities. This has been a long-standing fight between the English government and the Virginia colonists. He then mentions that an individual could bring themselves and two servants over from England to, to Virginia for just under 53 pounds, although he recommends you bring 60 pounds and use the leftover money as seen fit. He also provides another proposal where planters could come over and get established for 100 pounds. It seems Bullock wrote the letter to encourage Englishmen to come over, but I'm uncertain as to why he made the recommendations for government reform. He really wasn't critical of the structure of government. Maybe he felt the structure needed change to get out of some of the past stigmas that the colony had been up against. There was another writing in 1649 about Virginia, and this came from an unknown author. This unknown author estimated that the population of Virginia at the time was 15,000 with 300 slaves. The author also added that there were 3,000 sheep, 5,000 goats, and six breweries. Beef was selling for two pence, half penny per pound, and pork was at three pence per pound. So beef was cheaper than pork. The author added that a man could earn 20 pounds per year on tobacco if the price holds at three pence per pound. The letter complements the efforts of Governor Berkeley, who, as we are about to discuss, is going to come under his own controversy. And again, Governor Berkeley was loyal to the monarchy in England. Another writing was put together by Ed Williams, and he would write extensive information about Virginia that was directed right back to the English Parliament. So he was clearly writing on their behalf. And it was designed to probably get them acquainted with the land and the colony itself. The only unique thing I saw in Williams' writing was mention of land south of Virginia as very habitable, very attractive land. It was a land that he referred to as Carolina. Williams also refers to the Spanish in Florida as a threat. These descriptions and informational pieces may explain why the English government did not act on Virginia between January 1649 when Charles was beheaded and the orders coming to the colony in July of 1649. It could have been because they were busy gathering information. They also could have been building their government. In July of 1649, the Council of State, which replaced the Privy Council, issued the first order in regards to the colonies. Let's have a look. That letters be written to the English plantations abroad to give them notice of the change in the government, to send them such papers as are necessary for their information, and to require them to continue their obedience as they look for protection from the Commonwealth of England. So basically, if they want protection, their obedience is required with the change of government. 
Following this order, the Council of State started issuing orders allowing specific people to travel to Virginia. But it is unclear what the specific orders for those individuals were. So they were likely merchants, but basically you see in the writing, so-and-so permitted to go to Virginia, so-and-so permitted to go in Virginia. And then in October of 1649, the orders change. Let's have a look. That a letter be written to the governor of Virginia to demand an account of him why he hath banished Mr. Harrison, lately a minister in that plantation, and that he doth it by the next opportunity that the governors and companies of the several plantations abroad be sent unto to attend this council on Wednesday next in the afternoon. Now, I don't know why they would recommend somebody attend a council when they're an ocean away, but we do know a little bit about Mr. Harrison. Mr. Harrison was a Puritan minister, and when things between the Puritans and the Royalists started to boil up a bit in Virginia, Governor Berkeley banished Mr. Harrison, and that occurred in 1648. Based on this and the experience of William Stone, who lived in Virginia for 30 years, it's telling us that the relationships with the Puritans in, in Virginia deteriorated greatly during the English Civil War. The same day the Council of State issues this order, they also issue a separate order permitting Mr. Harrison's return to Virginia. So it doesn't really matter what anybody else has to say. Mr. Harrison is already permitted to go back to Virginia. Two days later, they referred, quote, the case of Virginia to the Committee of the Admiralty. This was a committee of the English Navy. On November 29th, the committee uh, of the Navy there met and decided to bring English merchants with trading experience into the committee for further discussion. So as they're trying to figure out what to do here with Virginia, and a military committee is certainly a serious thing, they want uh, merchants to come in and provide them information, probably about the people and the layout and those types of things. By late December, the committee had included Maryland into its investigation. So it looks like William Stone's appointment may not have been as helpful as the Calvert family had hoped. The following month, which was January of 1650, the committee made the following recommendations to Parliament. They recommended that first, a group of commissioners be appointed to take immediate governing responsibility of Virginia. So we've seen that recommendation before, commissioners to Virginia, if you've been a part of the podcast up to this point. So they're recommending commissioners go to Virginia. The commissioners would nominate and appoint a governor and council. The committee goes on to mention and discuss the powers that the late Sir Francis Wyatt had and ask the commissioners to emulate those. So they're wanting to go back to the powers that Sir Francis Wyatt had, the governing structure. And the last recommendation was that the Attorney General draft a grant to this effect so that they had the legal authority to go over and do this. The order was signed by Sir John Danvers and Sir Henry Vane. 
you may remember the name Sir Henry Vane. He was the former governor of Massachusetts Bay. And he was, he left because he ended up on the wrong side of the religious debate with his friend, Anne Hutchinson. In March of 1650, the Committee of State debated allowing Captain Ingle to sail to Virginia. And if you'll recall, Captain Ingle was the individual responsible for the seizure of Maryland during the English Civil War. Quite a controversial person to be allowing over. And the Council of State ultimately granted him passage, but on the condition that he not carry arms or ammunition. In May, the Navy Committee uh, formally recommends the government structure previously written up by the Attorney General, and they forward the matter to the Council of State. On June 3rd of 1650, Sir William Berkeley's commission is drawn up. Let's have a look. We are willing to give all encouragement to that plantation and colony. And for the better maintenance and government thereof, are minded that our people there shall be ordered and regulated as well in ecclesiastical as temporal government according to the laws and statutes of the realm of England. The planters there, as shall conform themselves as royal subjects in all due obedience to our government, we reposing assured trust and confidence in the understanding, care, fidelity, experience, and circumspection of you, Sir William Berkeley, have nominated and assigned and appointed, have nominated, assigned, and appointed, and by these presents do nominate, assign, and appoint you, the said William Berkeley, to be the present governor. Now, there were other men mentioned as doing a good job. One was William Claiborne. And the order goes on to assign Berkeley's term as governor for 20 years. Now, why would this happen? The English government is planning on removing him. It's because this order did not come from the English parliament. It came from the son of King Charles I, Charles II, who was attempting to operate the government while in exile. It is uncertain as to whether the Parliament got wind of the Royal Commission, but by August 10th, which was a little more than two months later, the temperature with Virginia was really beginning to rise. The situation seems on its own to have gotten way more serious. Let's have a look at the writing. That a letter be written to the commissioners of the customs to make stay of all ships which are bound for Virginia until further order, that an order be sent to Colonel Dean to make stay of all ships which are bound for Virginia until further order. So an embargo is now in place in Virginia, and the English government clearly looking to make their move, and by force if necessary. We're going to continue this story next time on historical context.